Hey y'all, what if you really could change your life? If there was a way to be healthy and intentional in every area of your life? Good news, there is. And we show you how each week on All of You Whole. Hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. Every episode is an in-depth look at how to help you get unstuck, be brave in your life choices, and have a meaningful life all either from my own experiences or from the experts I interview. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. These fatty acids auto-oxidize in the body. Imagine them like firecrackers in your body. And what happens is once they start oxidizing, they go to the next cell or fat or fatty acid and oxidize that one. It's this chain reaction. Right. And so that's one issue. Another issue is that they embed your cell walls. Right. Think about your cells as like big beach balls. Mm-hmm. And that the outer shell of that beach ball are all, it's called a phospholipid bilayer. So lipid mm-hmm. equals fat. And so they're made of fats. And so when you're making your cells, you're using different fatty acids. And when you're using these specific fatty acids to make your cells and your nervous tissue and everything else, Think about that beach ball now looking instead of like nice and full on the outside, blown up, which is great because you have all of these receptors on your cells that can communicate with each other and do certain things and function properly. Now it starts folding up. You still start folding up like a crumpled piece of newspaper. Today on the show, I get the amazing opportunity to chat with Dr. Anthony Gustin. Anthony is the founder of Perfect Keto and Equip Foods. He is the host of the Natural State podcast. He's the author of the best-selling book, Keto Answers. He is a former sports rehab clinician turned entrepreneur. He really has launched so many businesses. He's now an amateur farmer, and he's trained in functional medicine, and he's ordered labs and set treatment plans for hundreds of patients. So I'm really, really thrilled to talk to Anthony today because he has really dived into the world of seed oils and what makes seed oils so unhealthy for us. And this is a conversation you really can't miss. So without further ado, let's welcome Anthony onto the show. Welcome to the show, Anthony. We are so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you have been and done a lot of things in your life. Can you just introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, this is an interesting question. And it's always <laughs> changing every three years. I'm not sure right. when the transition should be made. So I think right, right now it's a uh, small amateur farmer is my title, I suppose. But other than that, I got into healthcare a long time ago. My training is in chiropractic. So I'm a doctorate in chiropractic and master's in sports rehab. So I did that for a while, then switched to doing more functional medicine stuff. Then from there, I kind of got into the online CPG entrepreneur space and scaled a few different businesses, mostly in the keto space. And then from there, I've been getting a lot into regenerative agriculture, food system, farming, et cetera. So that's where I'm at right now. It's been a hell of a journey. Yeah, I'm impressed because I feel like most people talk for a really long time. You've got that like really locked down. (laughs) I'm sure you have to tell people a lot. Well, awesome. I want to hear first about Perfect Keto. That's when I first was introduced to you. When did you found Perfect Keto and what was that process like? Yeah, it was in 2017. So I was at this point, had been working with a lot of people 
both pro athletes to optimize performance as well as just the everyday person who had a lot of random things where it's metabolic issues, mm-hmm. even cancer, gut dysbiosis, things like that. We used a lot of ketogenic diets in the clinic and this is before we really knew what it was. Sure. To get things back online, mostly to mitochondrial health, metabolism, things like that. It was really effective as a tool, but there wasn't a lot of ways to actually point people to as far as information, products to make it easy, et cetera. I had already had a company this time, which called Equip Foods, which still exists, which is like beef protein powder, sweet potato powder, just real food supplement products. Right. And we used a lot of that to do information, content, et cetera. And so goal is to do the same thing with ketogenic diet, make it really accessible, both from a product perspective of sticking to it, as well as a mm-hmm. content information. So yeah, that was in 2017 is when we launched it. Yeah. And man, that, that was like the right time, right place. I mean, yes. We were the first business to really do anything in the keto space, especially in content. Right. So for example, we, I mean, published like over a thousand articles. I published like 75 podcasts, wrote a book and we just, we tried to always just solve problems and make it mm. really easy for people to do. And I think we were successful in doing that and then launched like 80 plus products. So it was, yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a crazy ride and there's tons of amazing brands in the space now that are doing a great job. I don't think there's anything more for me to add to the keto pie as a whole. Sure. Like there's a lot of great people making great content about it and great products. And so I stepped away last year and yeah, from then as we've just been again, figuring out what sort of next step has been, but we chat about that, some seed oil destruction stuff, as well as farming. Yes, absolutely. Okay. The one question that we got from listeners about the keto diet, which I think is a great question, who shouldn't do keto? Do you feel like keto is for anyone at any time for any length of time? Or is there anyone that you're like, "Eh, maybe not? I think it can be safe for anybody. I think it's a useful tool to have in the tool belt. And so if you haven't done it, I think it's likely that you should just to get your metabolism to a point where it can be a little bit more flexible. And I don't think people need to do it for an extreme amount of time, but I think it's, I think it's a good perspective for people to have of how your brain and body can feel when your metabolism mm-hmm. shifts over to being okay with that. And I mean, I did it really strict mostly for like four or five years. Dang. And now I don't do much of it, but I still retain a lot of the metabolic flexibility. Right. And so, for example, like before it was had to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner kind of thing. And like I was, I was like, at this point, I was still considering myself pretty healthy before I was doing a lot of ketogenic diet. But even now, eating way more carbohydrates, I can go two days easily without eating, still like fasting and feel the way I did doing extreme keto and still use exogenous ketones and some of the things like that before podcasting, things like that, just to have the thing that I miss the most about doing it is the mental clarity Right, is what I got most out of it. And then also for me, a lot of reduction in chronic disease that we've seen from the research is, is pretty great. And my family lineage is not the healthiest. So I, I want to do as much as I can to sort of push that into the future as long as possible. And so sure. I still kind of pepper it in every now and then and kind of swing mm. back and forth and do a little bit more seasonally now. But I think to come back to your original question, we're born in a state of ketosis. It's safe for all humans to do, I believe. I think people can do it wrong in many oh, different ways. Yeah. I think that's the issue. So I, think, I think when people have bad outcomes, it's because either they're not getting enough food, the quality of the food is poor, or they have too many other stressors in their life 
Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I was dealing with a mold issue, which is why I stopped doing any more, more carbohydrates. I think there was just like too much going on for me, which I think it can be a stress on the body, a positive one if you can handle it. But I think that there's a lot of other things going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. It can add to that yeah. sort of bucket. And if your bucket over- overflows, then you need to start ratcheting it back and sending your body sort of signals of abundance. Sure. Yeah. You talk about like metabolic benefits or metabolic flexibility. I I just did some blood work and my metabolism is slow. I had a functional medicine doctor who was like, yeah, you want to lose weight, eat a thousand calories and do keto. Not a good idea. I found out. So for someone who has a slower metabolism and that's what they're dealing with, are you saying that a ketogenic diet can speed it up? Yeah, certainly can. I think that you need to look at how much you're eating. Yeah, that was my problem. There's plenty of research out there that actually shows that controlled for calories, a ketogenic diet will have, you'll have a higher basal metabolic rate than if you're eating a larger amount of carbohydrates. Hmm. Yeah. So you will actually be burning more calories. This has to do, we can get into crazy science if you want. Right. Yeah. it just takes more energy to break down fat for fuel than it does carbohydrate. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. It's, it's pretty it's pretty basic, but once your body gets in that zone and can do that more efficiently, mm-hmm. then it's something that it's it, everyone's an individual that has a, a huge amount of variety of sure. their own metabolism. And so I think that if you can track it and probably work with somebody one-on-one who doesn't restrict yourself to a thousand calories. I mean, yeah, not a good fiance, idea. Yeah, my fiance Martha has the same problem where she was working with somebody and they're like, Yeah. And she lived this like New York, Brooklyn lifestyle of wine and alcohol and salads and like kale salads, basically her entire diet for three years. And it took her like two years of figuring out like overeating for a while and then trying right. a bunch of different stuff. She's great now, but yeah, it's it can be a journey that can be hard to recuperate from. Right. And it's, it is hard to recuperate from because my body is basically like, let's go back to the highest weight you've ever been and like really hold on to that because we're in this famine, you know? And so I'm like sending my body, like you're saying, signals of abundance to counteract that. Okay, let's get into the topic of the hour, which is seed oils. I know you are super passionate about this topic. So can you first tell our audience who doesn't know what are seed oils seed oils uh, is a catch-all term for highly processed oils and fats typically from seeds although there can be other sources as well grains are typically are technically seeds but the most common ones are canola cottonseed corn peanut safflower sunflower soybean rapeseed grapeseed rice bran these are like the main ones that people need to be aware of and looking at that and they're everywhere everywhere Everywhere. Yeah. And so, man, we, we can talk about the history of them and why we have them in the first place. We can talk about why they're bad. I mean, any of this stuff, feel free to look, yeah. you take us on the journey wherever you yes. think. Yes. Well, yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting about seed oils is when they started and why they started. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Why did we start using seed oils in the first place? They were first in the market in 1911 when Crisco made cottonseed oil. Cottonseed oil turned into Crisco. This is the first product. So we hydrogenated these seed oils. It was basically as a leftover of industrial process. And we thought, hmm, what can we do with this? I guess we'll feed it to humans. <laughs> so that's kind of that's how it got... always a good idea. <laughs> that's kind of how it got started. And if you look at a lot of the literature as well, incidents, there were effectively zero heart attacks or cardiovascular disease before this date, which is... You, can't sort of, it's a correlation thing. So I'm not saying that they're 100% positive, but 
it looks pretty bad when you look at all yeah, the evidence. It's not good. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the curve of lung cancer and smoking. Mm-hmm. It looks pretty similar with seed oils and heart disease yes. and a lot of other chronic diseases. And that's how we figured out with smoking, like, oh man, this is something is going on. You know, we looked into it and saw a lot of the mechanistic stuff come out. So yeah, it started then. And then I think it's just, I've been digging into this a long time around just how messed up our food system is. Right. This, I think I could write a book about this. I don't have time to do that right now, but I think I Please could. Please do. Eventually. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> we need it. <laughs> there's so many ways we can go in here, but generally speaking, our, so we started with the Crisco. Our food system got more and more industrialized. So we started using more like mass produced ingredients, going away from small local farms, starting having supermarkets, starting having this global supply chain. And then Eisenhower had this heart attack. We had Ansel Keys, she's a researcher. I'm sure you guys have talked about in the podcast before, say that saturated fat causes heart disease. Everyone needs to be eating polyunsaturated fatty acids. And so with all of the sort of snowball rolling down the hill, that's kind of the thing that really kicked it off. And so after that point, we've harshly demonized saturated fat, which we've been eating literally for hundreds of thousands of years. It's like the highest component of breast milk, for example. And there's mm-hmm. something like this where it's like, would we really be poisoning our babies when you give us a, a disease? I don't know. Just, there's so many ridiculous things that we could go into, obviously, but then that just took off and more and more corporate interest into food that then we have subsidies for corn and soy. Soybean oil takes over as like the, mm-hmm. the main thing. If you look at sort of the charts of consumption, it has been insane the amount of growth that has been and mm-hmm. now it's at a point where it, it was like this fringe product that you had to buy mm-hmm. and then it started getting into packaged foods right and now it's in every single restaurant pretty much every single packaged food and like you cannot avoid this stuff and even trying to create this custom feed and starting this farm which you can talk about as right. well yeah it is nearly like so every corn-free soy-free blend of feed to feed chickens or pigs or whatever like, oh, great, organic, corn-free, soy-free. This is awesome. On the ingredient list, sunflower oil, vegetable oil. It is everywhere. everywhere. The, the amount of consumption that we have is insane. And yeah, we can get into the nuance of like how people can avoid it and why it is so bad in the first place. Yeah, let's talk about why yeah. is it so bad. So we got a question from a listener who said, why are seed oils unhealthy in the first place? Regular doctors recommend it. What does it do in the body? <laughs> Which I think that's such a good point. Like you going back to the history and it's like regular doctors literally recommend it. And honestly, I remember probably 10 years ago stocking my own pantry. I'm like vegetable oil. Like that can't be bad. It's from vegetables. (laughs) So why is it so bad for us? So there's two questions there and I'll address the regular doctor one first. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, if you get a regular... If you have a regular anything, I would say find a better one, whether that's a plumber, a lawyer, or a doctor. And the reason why is this heart disease thing. We've tried to simplify heart disease to what's the amount of LDL you have. Mm -hmm. And again, this could be an entirely different podcast. I don't know if you have have had Dave Feldman or Brett Scher on or any of these guys. Amazing. Get you referrals to them because they have really mastered this topic. So we've simplified... High LDL equals bad, equals heart disease, equals dying of a heart attack. 
And all the evidence shows that these vegetable oils, which are polyunsaturated fatty acids, so liquid oils, basically. So what that means, which might be relevant later, is that they have these double bonds that twist the molecule up. So saturated fat is like a big squiggly line. They can all stack mm-hmm. onto each other. When the fat molecules stack on each other, they can get solid at room temperature. Mm-hmm. When you have a bunch of bends and twists, they float around each other and they can't stack. And so mm. that's why they're liquid at room temperature. Cool. So when we have this used, it decreases LDL. And so there's a bunch of trials that show this. And so this is what all the vegans will tell you and all the regular doctors will say, look, this stuff reduces LDL. It's incredible. However, we have to ask why does it, like, why and how does it reduce the LDL? Turns out it turns the LDL into oxidized LDL, which is oh. no longer considered LDL on a standard oh, lipid panel. Right. And the thing you actually need to initiate heart disease and atherosclerosis is oxidized LDL. You literally cannot have heart disease or atherosclerosis without oxidized LDL. Oh my gosh. You cannot have oxidized LDL without this fatty acid called linoleic acid. Right. So this is the thing that makes these seed oils so bad for people is the species inappropriate amount of linoleic acid. So linoleic acid is just, so fatty acids, make up fats. They're like Mm -hmm. building blocks. Mm -hmm. Proteins have amino acids. Fats have fatty acids. And so there's saturated fatty acids, monounsaturated fatty acids, which means there's just one double bond. And then polyunsaturated Mm -hmm. means there's, there can be many of them. With linoleic acid, this seems to be sort of the smoking gun. I think there's a lot of other things we can look at in cetals overall, but this seems to be the main mechanistic issue where Mm -hmm. with every fat that we've ever eaten historically throughout history, this has been like one to 2% of the fat. Mm-hmm. With seed oils, it can get to be 80% of the fat. Oh my gosh. And we are now eating 25% of our calories in the average American diet. 25% comes from seed oils. And so if you do the math there, you say like 60 to 80%. <laughs> and the other 80% is, percent like is wheat. <laughs> yeah. it, it is crazy. So this specific fatty acid and some of these other polyunsaturated fatty acids. There's a variety of mechanisms that I actually just launched a couple podcast episodes on this. So I have a podcast called The Natural yeah, cool. State and we have who I consider to be the world's expert in this space, Tucker Goodrich. You can get you should get him on the podcast. Yeah. We did a two-part episode talking all about the science and that stuff. Mm. I think it's like a total of almost five hours. And so if anybody wants to really I'm into it. That, <laughs> yeah. Go check it out and you can put it in the show notes. But yes. Very broadly these things can be very inflammatory because they oxidize super easily. And so these fats are not stable. Right. You, know, like, but you get in the chemistry if you, if you want, but basically there's this thing called oxidation and you lose or gain electrons. Right. And it's this thing that you basically don't want. And right. So, and it's why yeah. we eat antioxidants. Like you right. hear all about a- antioxidants being so healthy. It's because of free radicals and oxidation in the body. So anytime our listeners hear oxidation, it's not a good thing. <laughs> right. And so these fats, these fatty acids, auto oxidize in the body. Imagine them like firecrackers in right. your body. And what happens is once they start oxidizing, they go to the next cell or fat or fatty acid and oxidize that one is this chain reaction. Right. And so that's one issue. Another issue is that they embed your cell walls. Right. Think about your cells as like big beach balls Mm -hmm. and that the outer shell of that beach ball 
are all, it's called a phospholipid bilayer. So lipid mm-hmm. equals fat. And so they're made of fats. And so when you're making your cells, you're using different fatty acids. And when you're using these specific fatty acids to make your cells and your nervous tissue and everything else, think about that beach ball now looking instead of like nice and full on the outside blown up, which is great because you have all of these receptors on your cells that can communicate with each other and do certain things and function properly. Now it starts folding up and you still start folding up like a crumpled piece of newspaper. And so now all the receptors that you need for yourself to communicate are in these weird caverns that you don't get exposed. I mean, this is a very oversimplified way to talk about it. I'm sure. sure. There's no, no, no. But I mean, who are pissed about what I'm saying, but <laughs> this is the way I think about it. Cause it's like generally how it works and sure. it's not great for a variety of reasons. Your cells literally do not work effectively. Sure. And then we talk about the mitochondria, which are inside the cells. The mitochondria are the powerhouses, which make ATP. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you guys have gotten into this in the past in the podcast. No, go for it. So <laughs> your entire body runs on energy source. The source, the currency of the energy is called ATP. Mm-hmm. And that is generated by your mitochondria. The mitochondria are in the cells. They're powerhouses. So when you have mitochondrial dysfunction, it seems to be that pretty much all chronic diseases have a root of your mitochondria not providing energy efficiently. Hmm. So then your body starts breaking down in weird ways and doing weird things. Sure. Again, very gross oversimplification, but it seems like if you Google any chronic disease and mitochondrial dysfunction, you'll have thousands of articles pop up. Hmm. And so it seems to be like the root cause. And so this is kind of what's got me on this topic in the first place. of like, okay, well, what breaks mitochondria the most and whatever. And I used to think it was primarily carbohydrates until Tucker... This guy named Peter Dobromilski, who's in the UK, Brad Marshall's done a lot of great work on this. Started looking at the role of linoleic acid in your mitochondria. And so your mitochondria produces energy in this, it's called electron transport chain. Mm-hmm. Krebs cycle is this thing mm-hmm. where you probably remember that from word. Science from science class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> science class in fifth grade or whatever. Essentially arrests that entire process. It breaks the entire thing. So it replaces the fats and things called cardiolipins and all these different areas on your mitochondria and your mitochondria can no longer function appropriately. And so I actually am starting to think that, so a ketogenic diet, great to get the mitochondria back online, things like that, because your mitochondria can no longer process carbohydrates for energy, but it's not because you ate too many carbohydrates likely. Right. It's because you ate such bad quality fat through all these sources that you didn't even know they were. Right. And that broke the mitochondria, which led you to not being able to process carbohydrates. Yes. Yes. So, I want to applaud. That's so yeah. great. Interesting. And it, and it seems to be a very similar process with diabetes, insulin resistance, which is a kind of different mm-hmm. tangential, but somewhat related issue. But that's another huge thing. So, okay, your body can't make energy effectively and it leads to premature right. diseases. Not good. There are entire research journals. So a research article typically comes in a research journal. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when research institutions publish their research, it comes in like an issue of hundreds of articles. Mm-hmm. There are tons of journal episodes, meaning hundreds plus articles talking about the harms of things like 4-HNE, 9-HO, 13-HO, which are direct metabolites of mm. linoleic acid. So this fatty acid in these seed oils lead to hundreds, if not thousands, of toxic metabolites. And I think the word toxic is a little bit overblown most of the time. Mm. But in this case, 
it is the literal definition of toxic. Sure. It kills you slowly. And we have a copious amount of evidence that displays that this is the case. And this stuff increases also with heat, exposure to heat, right, oxygen, right, right. Mm-hmm. and carbohydrates. And so there's a kind of a spectrum on which you should look at these oils. Right. There's a lot of different things that input into this. Amount of linoleic acid, how is it processed? Is it heated? Like basically a ultra processed oil fried with processed grains and sugar is likely the worst thing a human can consume. So think about a donut. Yeah, I was going to say like a that. donut. Yeah. It is literally the worst possible thing a human can consume. <laughs> no, uh, but they're delicious. <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing is... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, some of my friends and I have been doing like a couple times a month a like healthy version of whatever mm-hmm. like junk food that we've, uh, <laughs> we've done. In, and it's so much ago. better. Well, yeah, so like we're frying in tallow and we're doing a lot of stuff. It's like, so like fried food, for example... We used to use tallow, which is rendered beef fat mm-hmm. for everything, which is right. totally fine and totally healthy because it's saturated. The fat is stable. When you heat these unstable fats, they start breaking down, mm-hmm. oxidizing before you even consume them, mm-hmm. leading to these toxic metabolites, aldehydes, et cetera, all this stuff, which again is not good. So uh, another thing that I think breaks people's brains sometimes is that when you eat for example, like sugar. So I tend to think of the three biggest problems in nutrition as processed sugars or carbs, white sugar, refined grains, so like white flour, and refined fats. So Mm. obviously seed oils. And when you eat sugar, you're talking about like a three to four hour recovery process, where unless you're extreme diabetic, something you have some real downstream issues, <laughs> which I think is again, result in the cereals anyways, but <laughs> right, yeah. you go through this like sugar, blood sugar crash when you stabilize. So if you use like a continuous blood glucose monitor, you can track, mm-hmm. okay, I ate this thing. Now I did this and now I'm back to a level point already in like three to four hours. Mm-hmm. You ate processed grains and wheat. There's a lot of evidence that shows that that can harm the blood brain barrier, mm-hmm. gut barrier. People can have inflammatory responses, but all that stuff heals generally within like a week, right. 10 days. When you eat seed oils, they get incorporated into your body and your cells and your tissues for a minimum of two years. Minimum, Anthony. Minimum, minimum of two years. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Sorry, minimum of 685 days is the, the lowest of the half-life, which is- No. And in, in other tissues, up to five years. No. Okay, and here's the thing. Like to oversimplify this even more, you are what you eat. These seed oils are becoming these lipid bilayers on your cells. Your cells are being built with these oxidized or oxidizable seed oils. It's so depressing. (laughs) It's so, so sad. Your body more than anything with fat takes in what it is given and makes what it has been mm-hmm. given like with the raw materials. Right. Mm-hmm. Your body is essentially, you have some carbohydrate-based things in your body, but it's mostly like structurally protein and mm-hmm. fat. Right. Protein, you can break down like most things you get from protein. Like if you eat a vegan diet, for example, you can get a really imbalanced protein. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just like very challenging to get complementary proteins. And this right. is that historical populations did a really good job about figuring out. But all this stuff is like, for example, if you're eating any meat or eggs or anything like that, 
you're getting a good balance of amino acids, the building blocks, mm-hmm. of proteins, but the fats, you, your body can't easily, and then like we can sort of chop up and change around. There's some essential amino acids and there's some essential fatty acids, which ironically linoleic acids categorizes essential fatty acid, which is another thing that you don't need to go down the rabbit hole. This Tucker can <laughs> talk to you about that, but it is not essential by any means. And so this is like a lot of our food system too is pegged to a hundred year old research that mm-hmm. the government's been too lazy to redo. Right. Absolutely. Which is insane. So that's why I, I people go nuts about nutrition facts panels, things like that. It's, it's kind of irrelevant for a variety of reasons, but yeah. Well, I want to ask you this though. So seed oils are terrible. We are all terrified now. Okay. So my question is this, and it's from my friend, Michelle, because I told her about this conversation and she said, okay, but talk to me about the seeds themselves. Right. So like she said, I put flax seeds in my smoothie. Is that a problem? I know that nuts and seeds are higher, nuts as well, not just seeds, nuts and linoleic acid. So does that mean we also need to be eating less nuts and seeds or is there something else in the nut and seed that like protects us from the seed oil or how does that work? Great question. Uh, What I typically ask people, especially with the seed thing is why? Mm. Why you need flax seeds in your smoothie? What benefit are you trying to get there? I mean, that's what that curiously what I would ask. Sure. First, just to sort of poke around a little bit, but, but then I could maybe redirect a more specific answer. But in this case, specific, I don't think humans are supposed to eat seeds. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't think that. Like, seeds are meant to be eaten and pooped out basically in this big mountain of fertilizer. So they right. planted and be new plants. Yeah. And so... There's a lot of people who talk about plant defense chemicals, and I think they take it a little too far. Like my friend Paul, carnivore guy, thinks that every plant is going to kill you besides fruit, and I don't think that's the case. But it's uh, the evidence is sort of overwhelming that, especially with seeds, they have more negative than positive. That's at least what I believe. Mm. And so, I, yeah, I just I don't know why one would. With, for example, though, soybeans. You can say a bean is kind of a seed, sure. but it takes 4,000 soybeans to get a tablespoon of oil. Right. Oh my gosh. And so you're just getting a ridiculous amount of this process that like, generally, again, there's a spectrum of ultra industrialized processed food to whole food. And if right. you're going to be more on the whole food route of whatever you choose, it's going to be a better choice. Right. And so, yes, it is better than eating flax oil, for example, or soybean oil or whatever these things are. But I would just ask the question of like, why are you doing that in the first place? When it comes to nuts, I think seeds can be kind of thought of in a similar light. You think about, okay, if these foods naturally contain linoleic acid, why would nature make something that's going to kill us? (laughs) Right. For example, I think that currently the amounts we're eating are leading to massive amount of chronic disease. But I think in small amounts, and we have, again, tons of mechanism for this. Actually, just this new business that I'm working on called Zero Acre Farms. We're trying to basically make a replacement for seed oils. And we're starting to put out all this content. So we're bringing together all the world's experts to like write these crazy white papers on this. And we just published our first one about obesity. Basically, how seed oils and linoleic acid leads to obesity. Sure. It's like 40 pages long and suddenly like, it's insane. 
should probably write a shorter one, but we used to say like, Hey, here's all the evidence on this topic because no one's pulled this together. Same thing like when we first started Perfect Keto, mm-hmm. no one had pulled any of the stuff together. So we're trying to do the same thing for seed oils. But it's very clear that sort of breaks your mitochondria and you get fatter. Very even obvious. You're specifically saying even nuts that contain linoleic acid. Yes. So to tie this together, the question is why would we have foods that do that? And so if you actually look from like from the equator, you have northern and southern latitudes. And basically the higher you go north or south, you get more nuts and seeds that are mm-hmm. higher in linoleic acid and polyunsaturated fatty acids. It's a variety of reasons for this, but it's a really cool thing to observe with nature, like making sense and integrating everything. Mm-hmm. So the plants need more flexible fats. So that way when their metabolism works, when it's colder temperatures, things can be malleable and move around in the, in the plant. And that's why fish also have high amounts of omega-3 because mm-hmm. fish are in, especially in cold water fish because right. they need to swim around. And so having the polyunsaturated flexible fatty acids, they can move around in the cold water. So same thing with plants, but also the higher it is in the colder temperatures during winter, animals are looking to eat things to get fat intentionally for the winter to survive. Yes. And so, and and it, so there's like this elegant sort of balance between the plants that need it and the animals that actually need it transiently. And so I think generally speaking, when it comes to nuts and seeds, if you want to eat them, sure, go ahead. I'm not totally against all, like for example, macadamia nuts, again, tropical nut, mm-hmm. almost entirely saturated. Again, very low amount of linoleic acid. Makes sense. Doesn't need to be. But nuts specifically are one of the only foods besides dairy that contain both carbohydrate and fat in high amounts. And not only mm-hmm. fat, but high lin- linoleic acid. So there's again, an abundance of research that shows high linoleic acid and carbohydrate leads to the most amount of fat gain. And so nuts are fattening food, which again, in the context of coming up for winter for <laughs> mammals, especially makes a lot of sense. And so if you, if you understand that and then want to eat those things, I would say, just know that that's likely how nature designed them is to be more fattening sure. foods, which I actually talked to a friend this morning and he's like, Hey, what would you, he's a really lean sort of ectomorph kind of guy has trouble keeping on weight. One of the mm. rare freaks that everyone's yeah. MBS of. And I told him like, drink a lot of dairy, eat a lot of nuts. So I think that like people for like that who want to keep weight on <laughs> year round, it's a great strategy, but for us mortals, yeah, maybe not uh, such a good one. And, and the same thing, like there's a bunch of pecans here in the fall that drop mm-hmm. and it is so much work to get the nut out of the shell. <laughs> I and know. So my, my suggestion to people, if they want nuts and seeds is you go seasonally, <laughs> obtain them and spend the energy you want. <laughs> and then also still know that they're made for scarcity time in winter. Yeah. Instead of most people, which they just, handfuls a day and their smoothie or whatever. It's it's a very, 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 very seasonal food. Right. And the crazy thing is too, like I'm in the paleo world. And so we just throw nuts and everything. Like we've got cups of almond flour and brownies and like, let's use hazelnut flour and cashew flour. And it's crazy because even someone like me who thinks seasonally, who, you know, I'm trying to do my best here. Like it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that I even thought about nuts are seasonal. 
Like we have them all the time. They're in just like a plastic bag to buy at the grocery store. So we don't think of it as a seasonal food. And so I kind of love that your response is basically like, yeah, if you want to fatten yourself up for winter, feel free, which is hilarious because I don't think that that's like any of our goals, you know? (laughs) No, I I know that. (laughs) For example, nuts do have high amounts of vitamin E in them that protect Mm -hmm. against oxidation oils, but stuff still gets processed in your body. And like, for example, egg yolks can typically be higher in linoleic acid, but egg yolks have these things called hydrosylates and that also block the oxidation of the linoleic acid. Mm. I think that's higher, not due to that, but because of the feed, even like I'm saying before, but yeah, I mean, this is like a stuff's everywhere. And also just before I forget, an important point is that all of the pasture raised chicken and pork besides like three producers that I know of, even the pasture raised ones are fed corn and soy. Otherwise it's just not an economical model. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that are fed corn and soy free have high amounts of vegetable oils in them. And so I've only seen two different places that have tested their pigs Mm -hmm. that are in like low single digits. So basically it's like are you at 5% or under of linoleic mm-hmm. acid, then it should be normal. So we, we have research from these islanders that show that the pigs and chickens that they eat between two and 4% of linoleic acid, normal. What we eat, even the pasture stuff, again, the most expensive stuff you can find. Chickens like 35% plus, which is almost double what canola oil is. And then pigs like 25% plus. And so we're looking at 15, 10, 15 times the normal amount that you should be getting again, because the animals are also monogastric specifically. Right. Animals who only have one stomach, pigs and chickens. Mm -hmm. What's miraculous about ruminant animals like cattle and sheep, bison, et cetera, is that you can feed them literally whatever and their metabolism can rearrange the fatty acids. They break it down into two carbon chains and then they make saturated fats before it gets in their body. So it's pretty amazing what they do. Gosh, that's so cool. Okay, so like we're obviously all convinced seed oils are terrible. I think that I am a very black and white individual in general. It is so much easier for me to say I'm gluten sensitive. I'm never eating gluten. Like that's easier for me than should I do it now? Should I maybe not? Should I, you know, like that decision making, like I just, my brain just can't. So I'm very black and white. So since the What Good Shall I Do conference, you telling me this is staying in my body for two to five years, I'm like, there's two restaurants I know of in Denver that are seed oil free. So we've been to them. But Okay, so Just Be Kitchen, my friend owns it and it's lovely. It's like Paleo Whole30. They use no seed oils. Well, Melissa likes her seed oils at Whole30 now. We had a conversation about it, but. Oh, interesting. Well, canola oil. Just as a caveat, Whole30 is not seed oil free. Yes. So they allow canola oil. It's like it's encouraged not to use it in your home, not to use seed oils at home and only while eating out. And because if you said none at all, like you can't eat out. So people can't do it. While- sure, but I, that, I, I totally disagree with that because I go out to eat, I would say regular, like regular really? enough given my schedule and I can get around it. And I think giving people scripts of how to exist and how to order at restaurants or whatever, eating at restaurants is the worst place you can get because they're getting the cheapest forms and they're heating them excessively yeah. sure. for weeks on end. Yeah. Okay. So, well, my question was, this is a perfect transition. Can we eat out? (laughs) 
because at this point, I'm just going to these two places and it's not even very often and I need to know if I can eat out. How do you eat out while avoiding seed oils? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest thing is just to focus on foods that are cooked in like animal-based foods. If you're getting a grilled something or other, generally speaking, they just use the fat that's on the thing to grill the food. And so if you're getting like a steak or something like that somewhere, you're fine. But I'd still ask, hey, here's my pitch. Hey, I'm like pretty sensitive to any sort of oils. So if you could use butter or anything like that, that'd be awesome. Otherwise, just no fat and I'll take it as is. And if I have a question about stuff, like any sauce, pretty much anywhere will have seed oils in it. And the thing is too, like the next question that comes up typically when I talk about all this stuff is, well, what about avocado oil? What about olive oil? And unfortunately at almost all restaurants, olive oil is an olive oil canola oil blend. Right, yeah. For a couple of reasons. One, because it's cheaper, but two, it's a more functional reason because restaurants prep ahead of time. And like we said before, if you have more saturated fats, they get hard or in temperature. Most olive oils have a good amount of saturated fat in them. They have like maybe 10 to 12% linoleic mm-hmm. acid. But if you refrigerate them, they get solid. And so, for example, if you prep uh-huh. in a kitchen and you make yeah. a, Caesar, a Caesar dressing or a sauce or anything like that, you, you need to be liquid and you put it in the fridge, it gets solid. Now it's not usable. Whereas if you blend it with canola oil and then put it in the fridge, it will stay liquid and you can keep prepping things and having things refrigerated. Yeah. And so that's an unfortunate thing. So yeah, you look at some of these restaurants are very, their incentive is to be a business. Yeah. It's not to make you healthy. It's to Mm -hmm. sell you delicious food and make money from doing that. Right. And the problem with these oils is that they're not an ingredient that anybody knows there are in anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it, we're at the very beginning stages. Like now I can be gluten free wherever I go. Right. But like you're saying, you literally have to say like just oil because people don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I so think like do any you, liquid fat, any oil, whatever. Yeah. So are you at a point where you avoid all seed oils all the time? Yes. So it's possible. Yeah, it's 100% possible. I'm also kind of a freak and I have no... Oh, I mean, same though. (laughs) I've been through the paleo thing. I went to the keto thing. And like, there were some times there, for example, I like didn't eat any carbohydrates. And now I'm like eating carbohydrates, not saying like my intention is to eat a bunch of seed oils eventually. But I I realize that this stuff is all phase and I'm like learning and figuring out how Mm -hmm. to to get through this so I can share with people. Same thing I'm doing with my farm. It's like, I need to get an be an expert to figure out how I can help other people as well. And I think the same yeah. thing with the CEOs. Like if I can't figure out how to do it with as extreme as I am, like no one's going to be able to figure out how to do it. And so <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like, I mean, that's how I feel right now. I'm just like becoming a hermit. I'm like, guys, we can't. And I mean, even I'm not lying to you. So I come home, I'm like, seed oils are terrible. We're avoiding them at all costs. And then we also that the weekend after that conference, we like redid our not redid our kitchen. We like took everything out because I'm sure like you, I get sent so much stuff. So we have to kind of re inventory reorganize. And my husband's looking through all of these products, which I'm not going to name names, but like, these sauces have sunflower oil. That's the biggest culprit for me. These sauces all have sunflower oil. We made an entire pile of stuff we had to throw out or give away, donate, whatever. But even in quote unquote healthier swaps, it's in them. It's in them. 
Sunflower oil sounds the best. Sunflower. Oh, great. That sounds nice and natural. It looks pretty. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of the worst. No. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the worst. It has like up to 80% linoleic acid. Sunflower, soybean. Like those are the two that you really want to avoid. I'm at a point now where like I'm not even I'm not even having avocado or olive oil much. So you're mostly using tallow. Yeah. So I I'm working with this lab to start to try to develop a test where people can get this information, test their bodies, and say like, hey, where am I at in this two year journey? Where's my where are my levels at? Yeah. I tested myself and it didn't look great. Yeah. And so now I'm trying to figure out like how extreme do I have to get to move these numbers? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test. I'm getting all this information now and I'll probably release it in like a year whenever my experiment's sure. done. And just talk about like, hey, here's what it was and here's what it took. So I'm like playing around with different supplements, cutting out different food yeah. and just getting really strict. Because it was like maybe like once or twice a month, I'd be like, whatever the hell I'm out for a friend's birthday or whatever. Right, yeah. Like, sometimes it's just not worth asking, but now I've just gotten more extreme. And like, it's easier now. We, we moved out to this farm two weeks ago, full-time. Yeah. And there are very few restaurants around here anyways. And so yeah, we're cooking all of our food, which restaurant, yeah, again, like restaurants are not made mm-hmm. to make you healthy. And I think that yeah. th- this is another thing is keep that frame in your mind when you go right. to places. And yes, eating is a great experience because it's communal and you don't have to cook and it's convenient. And you have these dishes that you weren't able to make before. But I think that a lot of people look at things in the negative instead of in the positive and thinking like, Instead of eating out, maybe cook at home more and learn skills of cooking yeah, and totally. save money and all of these mm-hmm. things, which I think that a lot of people are going to look to be doing over the next couple of years. Yes. So I think there's yeah. a lot of positives to look at. I love cooking, so it's not a big deal for me. Well, same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah, it's just like most places I can make a much better tasting meal from anyways. And like, I like yeah. cooking with and hosting friends. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's for me more of a communal thing that way than even going out to eat is, which is like very rushed and hurried. And mm-hmm. you feel like you're kind of interrupting and it's loud. Yeah. Second, I mean, so I'm like 95 year old, like, no, I mean, we're basically 75 anyway. We go to sleep at like eight yeah. forty-five. Okay. But I will say we've been eating in more. We've been cooking more. And my husband and I, our like agreement was, he was like, okay, I'm going to up the grocery budget, which is already like obscene because I am who I am. But I'm going to up the grocery budget. We're not going to go out to eat. And we decided like we have a whole routine. We take the train to church on Sundays and then we come back and eat at this place one fold that uses no seed oils. And so like once a week we get to go out to eat. And then also too, to the community piece, I love hosting people. I love cooking. If you do not like my cooking, we can't be friends. Like I need to cook for you and I need to like see you enjoy it and love it. That's like my love language. And so I'm doing that more, right? Like why can't I make tacos at home? Like I can do that. Right. And so I do think it's an encouraging thing. And my husband has said exactly what you said. He was like, I've really enjoyed staying in more because that's kind of his jam anyway. And he's like, there's just something way more peaceful than going out and the hustle. Let's get out the door. We wait in line, just all the things, which I agree. I know it sounds like we're 95, but he has enjoyed it more. Okay. So to give some people some hope, (laughs) talk to us. One thing is uh, and I want to start planning some like guerrilla marketing and really like dive into this and have, for example, 150 people call a restaurant a day and be like, hey, do you have any 
do you make any of this without oils? And they're like, God, I like, I must change this menu now and start flipping restaurants that way. But the best thing you can do is go out and put pressure on the restaurants to change. Like that's how gluten-free became a thing where it's obvious you'll ask for it. And so be the annoying person and ask, because if enough people start doing that, which I think Mm -hmm. they will, yeah then things will start to change. And so yeah, that's good. Like put that out there, ask for what you want and the market Mm -hmm. will shift. Yeah, no, that's so good. So when people are cooking at home, what fats and what oils should we be using? We're not going to be using seed oils anymore. What are the healthiest oils to use? I eat animal fats almost exclusively. Um, Typically in the real food form. And so I don't have like a lot, I don't add a lot of animal fats. So right, it's just right, like, right. if I have a steak, I eat the fat on the steak and I don't yes. like add tons of fat, okay. especially when I'm eating a little bit more carbohydrate. That's just the way I'm doing it. But if people want yeah. to add fats, again, it's all a spectrum, but it, saturated animal fats removed of, again, chicken and pork. So schmaltz and lard have high amounts of linoleic acid because they're being fed corn and soy, right. but uh-huh. tallow, ghee, butter, great options. Coconut oil is yeah. totally fine and great. Palm oil, which I'm kind of shocked at people. Sometimes I post about it or say something about oh. it and I get like 500 Instagram comments. Like, it's going to kill you. I, I, I don't know. know where people got this from. It's but, also the environmental aspect of people being like, it's killing all the rainforests. Sure. There's RSPO palm oil for that. Right. Exactly. Palm, palm Done Right is a really good organization mm-hmm. that's doing a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And yeah, it's it, there's no reason. Like it's the highest of saturated fats in linoleic acid, but in general, it can be done like palm done right thing. I think they're in Ecuador is a fully closed system where they're like using the spent parts of the plant to power the actual plant and it's all steam generated and it's a cool it's operation. So palm oil can be fine. But yeah. If you want to talk about like the environmental impacts of seed oils are another entire conversation. A hundred percent. I know we have too many things yeah. like the environmental impact. We got to get you back after you've been farming and you have your pigs and all that. So you don't suggest olive and avocado, just to be clear here. Uh, avocado oil and uh, olive oil both have their issues. So Selena Wong out of UC Davis did a study a couple of years ago, showed 88%, I think it was, avocado oil was adulterated or not even avocado oil. So basically get chosen foods, avocado yeah. oil. Okay, that's what I get. Yeah. If you do, because they're like the purest brand. From her data, they don't pay me. I have no affiliation with the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's still like 15% linoleic acid, which again, like if you've been eating this for a long time, that's still eight times more than you should be getting. And if you have this load that you're trying to dump, again, that I'm even working through myself, then maybe cut back on the liquid fats and oils. Olive oil can be... So there's been this, these tests of anywhere between 10 and 40% linoleic acid, depending on the supplier. And so again, it's just an absolute random thing. And it's just, if we're like in this, if we're like in Italy or Greece or whatever, and sure. it's a local food that's pressed locally, it's like by the time it gets manufactured and then sent over, especially if it's in a clear bottle, you're just getting so much UV light and sunlight on that heat and exposure that even if it's high quality, liquid fats can still oxidize a lot. We're trying to solve this problem because the thing is with saturated fat, solid fat, there's a lot of inconveniences for it. Like you can't really make a mayo or a salad dressing Mm. or things like that. And as a culture, we're kind of, for better or worse, hooked on these liquid fats for culinary purposes. And so we have all these eating habits based around like, well, how do I make this thing? 
Yeah. And I would generally just say for myself, like, okay, just don't eat that thing. But I understand mm-hmm. that most people need a bridge to start making behavior changes. And so we sure. want to solve those problems. We're making this oil that basically we're using fermentation to make a liquid oil that has 2% around that of linoleic acid. So it's going to be basically a liquid oil, but have the fatty acid composition of a saturated fat. What? And so more details to be released. So you're still in the CPG space. (laughs) I I am already actively. So I I did like a six month sprint, helped get the team set up and, and raise some money and get marketing stuff going. And doing that, but I am not just an advisor of the company. So okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay, we have to have you back because we have like 27 other things to talk about. But let me ask you the two questions we always end with. So at the end of your life, when you're looking back, what will a successful life look like to you? Successful life? I I think my definition of success changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I guess we'll have to figure out when I'm dying what that is. But I mean, right now, Success looks like f- freedom from th- things I don't want to do and connection with friends and family and like being in a state of love, as cheesy as that sounds. And so if I were to be dying today, would I have filled my life with that and reduced mm. suffering for other people? Yes. I think that being just aware of death as a thing is successful in itself and not Mm. being hung up on the suffering of it. Love it. No, that's good. We'll ask you again next time. And then what is something that in your life recently you've been really intentional about and what's something that you hope to be more intentional about moving forward? Been intentional about setting up this farm. Yeah. Which has required, basically I set a year limit on myself. So we bought the property like 16 months ago. And I said a year where I couldn't do anything just to observe the property and go through a yeah. full cycle of seasons. And I am extremely impatient. And so yeah, I bet that was to, hard. <laughs> to have to do that, it was like such a lesson for me. But like now I take changes to the properties very seriously. Yeah, that's and good. And I'm thinking on a long-term scale. So like, Next week, I'm putting in 40 thornless blackberry bushes that line this fence that may not fruit for several years. I'm planting this orchard that may not fruit for five years. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, what in what if I do this thing now, what will the impact in 10 years be? Mm-hmm. And that requires a massive amount of intentionality. Yeah, that's uh, so cool. The second part was moving forward. What would you like to be more intentional about? I think I've gotten very far away from going deep into this farm project has been amazing. But I think my life is starting to get imbalanced from a point of where I'm spending my time. Mm. And I'm typically very rigorous. I have a review that if people want to do, it's totally free. It's not even, I don't even require an email sign up. Let me see if the link's still active. It's just dranthonygusson.com slash review. And it goes to a Google doc of this like 20 page thing that I wrote up of like how I do reviews and track my yes, time. Yes, yes, I've seen setting. this. Yes. And, and I have fallen off of that entirely mm-hmm. in the last three months. And so I've thought about like, okay, month end's coming up. I've always done like a big month end review. And I, I've tried now to think about like, okay, how do I get back on track, but in a way that's maybe more fitting to how I want my lifestyle moving forward. Right. Which is less on a computer, less on devices, less structured and more sort of like, 
working with this property, being outside, doing things like that. And so I think like reevaluating that and how I spend my time is probably the answer. To that. Yeah. And priorities changing too. That's so cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anthony, for being with us today. We can't wait to have you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. I think thus far in my podcasting journey, this is the episode that I learned the absolute most. I am really horrified about the increase of use of seed oils in the United States and just how much havoc they can wreak on our health. And so I am committed to take seed oils out of my house altogether. I had definitely had some seed oils in things like sauces, even the healthier sauces, you guys, I'm serious, have seed oils in them. So I definitely want to take them out of my house as much as possible. And I'm still trying to think about how to eat out. So when I figure that out, I will let you know. I'm thankful for a couple places that I know for sure I can go in Denver. So that's exciting. Well, thank you so much. Dr. Gustin for being on the show today. It was such a treat and I can't wait to have you back. And listeners, I can't wait to see you next week. 